So it's got scenes of nudity, scenes of graphic, grotesque violence. There are stories about sex trafficking. There are stories about incest. There are stories about rape. There are stories about torture. There are dragons, massive wars, and there are even ghosts and zombies. Probably right now you're saying, hey, Rob, I don't think you should watch that show. Probably there's some things in there you shouldn't be watching. And I'm not talking about Game of Thrones, and I'm not talking about a show at all. I'm actually talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the largest portion of our Bibles. It makes up almost three-quarters of our Bibles. And it is also incredibly hard to read at times, often misunderstood, and sometimes we just don't know what to do with it. Because that, some of us will avoid it. We will decide, hey, I'm just not going to read it. You know, it's for a long time ago. There's no point in reading it. But it's there. So why is it there? Why is it in our Bibles if it's meaningless, if there's nothing there, if we should avoid it? What is the purpose of it? And well, how do we read it? That's what I want to talk about this morning or evening or whenever you might be watching it because you can watch it anytime. But I want to talk about what do we do with the Old Testament? You know, for some of us, there are different ideas on what we do for the Old Testament. When we read it, for some of us, we'll say, well, everything applies. Everything applies. You've got to follow every rule that's in there. Every story that unfolded is exactly how it happened. You know, everything, everything, everything implies, including don't eat bacon. Well, I got to say, those people are definitely missing out because bacon is fantastic. And some of us will say, well, nothing applies. You know what? That is from back then. It is a long time ago. There's, there's nothing there for us, so nothing applies. Except for, you know, those parts about, you know, don't kill people and don't steal from each other and don't lie and those things. Well, so then some of it does apply. And then there's others of us who are to say, let's just pretend it's not there. It's like that family member we try to avoid because they often say things we are embarrassed about. You might be that family member, and I'm sorry for that. But you're like, hey, I just, I just don't want that around. You know, I don't want around my kids, I don't want around me, I don't want people to think I'm associated with it. So let's just pretend it's not there. Let's just ignore it. But is that a good idea? You know, for some of us, it's, it's everything applies. Some of us, it's nothing applies. Ignore it. Some of it, you know, some of us just say, hey, just pretend it's not there. So what do we do? Well, then, if we say like it doesn't apply or we're going to ignore it, what do we do with the New Testament? Especially parts where Jesus is talking. And one of those parts where Jesus is talking is in Matthew chapter 5. And in 5 verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. So that's the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Or the prophets. So those people who were sent by God to remind people of those first five books of the the Old Testament, and the covenant agreement that they had with God when they were disobeying. It says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word that gets used for abolish there in Greek is, is a word that means completely take apart. It has a visual understanding of it, of two horses on a carriage, like leading a carriage, and you unyoke them, and then they just split apart. It was just pure chaos. And that's the visual Jesus is giving. He's saying, I didn't come to split it apart and destroy it. I came to fulfill it. 
And he keeps going. He says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of the commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, so the right way of living, everything you do is absolutely right, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do with that? Well, there's two things we do with it. For some people, they took this and said, well, this is why we don't eat bacon. And so some people started denominations around that. Some people have just said, hey, everything absolutely applies and we stick with it. Others of us have taken it and say, okay, he's speaking about what comes out of the Old Testament, like the fulfillment of the law, that he is that fulfillment. So we view it with a different lens. But we need to take it seriously because Jesus refers to it over and over again. So he didn't come to completely destroy it, but to bring it to its fullness. What exactly will that mean? Well, we're going to explore that. But what I want to say first is that one of the things that we need to remember about the whole of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that it wasn't written to us, but it is for our use. So it means that we were not the initial audience. So we're not the initial audience of the Old Testament or even the New Testament. But as followers of Jesus, there are important insights about who Jesus is, who we follow, and how we follow. So it's for our use. And that applies to the Old Testament as well. When I say it's not written to us, we need to keep that in mind especially. Because one of the ways we approach the Old Testament is we take verses that sound really nice, we put them on, you know, wall mounts and like make it beautiful with flowers, or we put them on graduation cards, or all kinds of things, and we go, well, this is amazing. This is, this is what God says to us. But it's not written to us. So as wonderful as Jeremiah 29, 11 sounds, and it sounds really great to put on a graduate's card when you give it to them, because, you know, God has plans for you, and those plans are to prosper you. That's not written to us. That's written to people who are experiencing exile in Babylon. So they're actually experiencing God's punishment. And God says, my plan is to actually bring you good, but you've got to go through this punishment. We're not those people. There's a lot there, and it sounds great, and I believe that God can use it in your life, but it wasn't written to us, and sometimes we try to make it say things it never was meant to say. So when we approach the Old Testament, we've got to go, okay, what do we do with this? It's not meant to be put on motivational posters. It's not necessarily meant to be put on you know, birthday cards or graduation cards. So what do we do with the Old Testament as Christians? Well, there's three things I think that we need to do. The first one is we need to understand what the Old Testament is. Some of us, when we look at it, we read it and we think, wow, this is, this is nuts. As I listed off the amount of things that you probably wouldn't watch on TV that are in the Old Testament, you're thinking, wow, why would I ever read that? Well, there's a reason for it being there. There's a reason for its presence in our Bibles. And there's a reason that God wants us to explore it read it, understand it. And the first thing is its purpose. It is the story of God and his people. All of the Bible is about God. 
So when we read the Old Testament, it is pointing us to God. It is telling us the story of God and his people. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that the first 11 chapters of Genesis tell us some beginning origin stories. And we won't get into the details of how we understand those now, because there are a lot of different views. And some of them are very credible, some of them are not so credible. But we can talk about that another time. But we get to in chapter 12 is the first instance where God says, okay, you are going to be my people as he begins this covenant with Abraham, where he says that I am going to bless you and make you a blessing. God begins this deep relationship with a people, a covenant, a relational bond that they are meant to stick to and honor. And they honor that relationship by doing what is good for the other. And so as God begins this story with his people, this covenant, he sets out what it looks like in the Old Testament when people have this relationship. And so we read stories beginning with Abram and his desire for a son, because God said he's going to have a multitude of them, and then what he does trying to get that son, but it's not what God wants. And it starts to go and fold, and there are ups and downs. There's good, there's bad. There's all kinds of stuff that happens. It's the story of God and his people. So when we read it, we need to read it with that in mind. This is what it's about. God and his people. We have to be careful when we read it, though, because sometimes when we read Scripture, and this is one of the things that happens to a lot of us, and I think for many people this is one of the reasons why they abandon what they believe, they read it in such a way that they try to find the moral of the story. You know, we read the story about, like, Samson and Delilah. We were taught it in Sunday school, and we think, well, you know, Samson, he's so strong, and, you know, his hair gets cut, and that's too bad, and he loses his power. But then he asks God for strength, and, you know, God honors that strength. But actually, if you read through the story, Samson's an awful human being. He doesn't follow God at all, and he just, in those last moments, calls out to God, and God says, okay, I'm going to honor that call. He does horrible things. He completely disobeys the instructional relationship that he is supposed to have with God. We read other stories in the Bible, like Noah's Ark, and we think, wow, this is beautiful, you know, we'll teach it to our children, because there's cute animals, and they're coming two by two on this boat, and there's this guy with a beard— But we leave out the weird parts about incest, because it's in there. And so then we come to a place in our lives where we see these stories again, and we go, this isn't really what it's about. It's not really a moral story. And that's one of the mistakes we make with the Old Testament. We try to moralize it, because there are awful stories in there. The point of the Old Testament is not to give you moral instruction in that way. Yes, there are moral instructions in the Old Testament. Some are very specific. There's some direct instruction that God gives throughout the law and the prophets. But most of it, it's a moral instruction by hearing the story in its fullness and learning what not to do or what to do because of the mistakes of the people in the story. Most of the Old Testament is stories of people who have not honored their relationship with God. And there are deep horrible consequences to it. Some of those consequences they don't really see, they seem to be fine, but they actually are affecting each other throughout the story. And so we have to be careful when we read our Old Testament, because we want to read into it and get something out of it. We're always looking for something to get out of it. 
But really what it is, it's the story of God and his people. And we need to let it be that. Sometimes those stories are awful. And it's not going to give you a moral lesson. But it is going to teach you something. And so it's for you to figure out what that is. So aside from understanding what the Old Testament is, you need to understand how the Old Testament is used. Okay? In the New Testament, the Old Testament is referred to at least 800 times directly. There are also indirect references to the Old Testament as well. The reason why it's referred to so much both by Jesus and the authors of the letters and by the followers of Jesus in Acts is because that was their Bible. When Jesus would go to the synagogue and read scripture, he read the Old Testament. When Peter and Paul would be reading scripture, they read the Old Testament. The Old Testament was their Bible. It was their understanding of the story of God and his people. So we need to understand how it's used. Multiple times in the New Testament, the Old Testament is used for something. What is it used for? See, the Old Testament, it's like being part of an inside joke. You know what it's like when you go somewhere and some, you know, you got five friends around and three of them have this joke going on and you feel really left out because you don't get it? Well, the way to get it in the New Testament is to know your Old Testament. There are a lot of things unfolding, events occurring that are directly related to what's gone on in the Old Testament. And if we don't understand the Old Testament, we won't really understand the New Testament. We need to understand that the Old Testament is a story of God and his people. And then when we come to the New Testament, we need to look at how they are using the Old Testament to understand what's going on in those moments and how to teach people about God. And that brings me to the third part of this. You need to understand what the Old Testament is, that it's the story of God and his people. You need to understand how the Old Testament is used, that it's multiple times it helps us understand the New Testament. And finally, we need to understand what the Old Testament points to. All of the Old Testament points to something. What is it? All of the stories of a sex trafficked child or of a slave who is torn apart or of incest or of war, all of these horrible stories are pointing to something. What on earth could it be? Well, let's find out. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has an encounter with the religious authorities. And he has this encounter, and he's challenging them, and he's trying to get them to understand their Old Testament. And one of the things he says, and this is so very important, because this will help us understand the Old Testament. One of the things he says in John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, You, so being those religious people, you study the Scriptures, the Old Testament, law and the prophets, diligently. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. So he's saying to these people who are reading what we call the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, he's saying you read this and you read it diligently. You study it. You are looking deep to understand what it's all about because you believe that if you study it, if you understand it, if you embrace it, 
you will have eternal life. So he's saying, this is what you think the purpose of the Old Testament is. You think it's to gain eternal life. Now, those of you who have read the Old Testament, you have read those laws, all those rules, those instructions, you know some of those are very hard to follow, like the bacon one. Those are not meant to get you into eternal life. That was never their purpose. Their purpose was to distinguish morally, socially, and in worship the people of God from everybody else. And because we were in a covenant, a relationship with God, we should desire to keep those differences so that we could keep in this relationship. But within those very instructions, there was the instruction that you are going to fail. You're going to fail at keeping all those things. So you're not going to get eternal life from doing all those things. You're going to get eternal life from knowing God, who you're in a relationship with, and you should desire to do those things because you're in that relationship. And because you're going to fail, God makes a way for you to get out of messing up. It's words of atonement, make things right. God gives instruction throughout the Old Testament that there are ways to be made right with him when you don't always follow all the ways you should be following. So Jesus says, you are studying these things diligently because you think this is what's going to save you. You think this is going to get you in right standing with God. And so he says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says people are studying the Old Testament to try and gain life, but what they miss out on, they think this is what it's all about to get this eternal life if they study it, if they know it this way. But that's not the point of it. The point of it is to point to Jesus. All of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus in some way. Every single bit of it. All those awful stories are pointing to how badly we need a Savior because we can't do it on our own. Some of the prophecies are saying distinctly, directly, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a Messiah. Some of those instructions of the law, God is saying, this is what it looks like to be like me. All of these things are pointing to Jesus. All of the Old Testament points to Jesus. The purpose of the Old Testament is to understand who God is in relation to his people to understand our New Testament, so we are in on this inside joke, but ultimately to point us to Jesus. That is what it was meant for all along, to point us to our Savior. The reason why things get so messed up is because we need a Savior in the Old Testament, and there is not one. There have been times, there have been leaders like King David, who was like a messianic figure in the fact that he was leading the people in the right way, but he was incredibly flawed. He was proud. He was, he self isolates himself from everyone else and just kind of listens to himself. He cheats. He lies. He steals. He gets people killed. He impregnates somebody else's wife. He's not the Messiah. All of these are pointing to the one we need, Jesus. The Old Testament is the unfolding story of God and his people. The relational dynamic of it is that God has a covenant, a promise 
that he keeps with us, that he is going to be our God and he's going to be with us. But we need to keep the side of the promise too, to be with him and to follow him and to live like we follow him. Yet we don't. And so people mess up. Chaos happens. Horrible stories unfold. And it's not that God says, hey, this is the way I want it to happen. It happens because we said, hey, God, I don't want to follow the way you say you want things to happen. It's a story of God and his people. And as it unfolds, ultimately, all it does is point us how badly we need a savior because we can't do it on our own. And when we try to do it on our own, in fact, what ends up happening is we go further and further either into like a legalism where we're like, hey, we've got to do everything absolutely right. And if you do anything wrong, you are horrible. Or we go into this free-for-all where we actually do everything wrong. We seem to have no middle ground because ultimately we just need a savior. And all of the Old Testament is pointing us to that need that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, one of the most amazing things that happens in the book of Acts is the preaching that occurs. So Peter preaches after Pentecost. And then Paul preaches in the marketplace. And then Stephen preaches before he is killed. And all of them, when they are preaching, when they are preaching to a Jewish audience, They are outlining what happens in the Old Testament that ultimately pointed them to Jesus. They understood that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Even the stuff we don't want to read, the genealogies which we can't stand because we don't know these people or know how to pronounce their names, these horrible stories of violence and death and sexuality that we don't want to touch, all of them point to Jesus and how badly we need a Savior. That is the purpose of the Old Testament. So what do we do with the Old Testament? That's what we started off asking. Well, I say we read it. But when we read it, here's what I want to encourage you to do. First, I want you to read it as history. These are events that have unfolded. A lot of it is a narrative history of God and his people. Read it like that. It's not a narrative that I'm part of. It's not a part of you either. It's a narrative of God and his people long ago and what people did or didn't do and how they listened or didn't listen. Read it like the story it is. It's history. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to read it as history that is descriptive and not prescriptive. A lot of the Old Testament is instruction, for sure. They have the laws and especially the prophets. Often in those two sections, actually just those two sections and maybe a little bit of wisdom, they're telling you what to do. Absolutely. But there's a big chunk of it that is a narrative that is unfolding. And it is not, and I repeat, it is not meant to be followed as a moral example. It is a descriptive story of God and his people when people listened and when people didn't listen. So it's not telling you you should have 700 lives like Solomon. In fact, it's not even telling you that God liked it. In fact, God did not like polygamy. He says it over and over again. But people still did it. So then what are the consequences of that? Read it as a descriptive story and not prescriptive. Read it to understand your New Testament. There are more than 800 direct references to the Old Testament and the New Testament, like I said. There are direct quotes from it. 
They don't always say, hey, I read this in Isaiah. This is what they say. But there are direct quotes, especially Paul's letters. He is often referring, when he's writing to a Jewish audience, to the law. So what is he referring to? Understand it. Read it. And finally, I want you to read it with a lens for Jesus. Look for Jesus in the story. Look for either the need for a Savior in those awful things that happen. Look for the foretelling of a Savior in the prophets and even in other parts like the law. Look for Jesus. What is this telling you about Jesus? Because it's telling you something. He says to those people who follow the law, he says, all of this is pointing to me. Don't you get it? It's up to us to get it. There's a purpose to the Old Testament. And that purpose is to point us to Jesus. So read your Old Testament. That's what I want you to do. But actually for this week, what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to read the Gospel of Matthew. A few weeks ago, I asked you to read Mark. And now you're thinking, but Rob, you were just talking about reading the Old Testament. Why are you telling me to read the Gospel of Matthew? Well, here's why I want you to read the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is unique in the four, from the four Gospels because it was specifically written to a Jewish audience. So people who were very familiar with the Old Testament. And in fact, Matthew uses the most references to the Old Testament out of those four Gospels. And he uses language that would be more palatable for a Jewish audience than a Greek one, whereas like with Luke, he has a Greek audience. So I want you to read Matthew's gospel. And while you read it, I want you to look at how Jesus interacts with the Old Testament. Does he quote scripture? How does, what does he say about it? How does he use it? One of the things that you'll find when you read it, he'll, he'll often say, you have heard it said, but I say. That's his fulfilling of the law. You heard it said that you shouldn't do this, but actually what I'm telling you is this is what you're supposed to do. He's showing us a better way, but it's coming out of what God has already said and done in the Old Testament. So read the Gospel of Matthew. Read how Jesus uses the Old Testament. Look up some of the references that will be in there. If you have a Bible like mine, you'll have like either a column down the middle or maybe some notes at the bottom, and there'll be references to Old Testament passages. Look them up. What is Jesus saying about this passage? See what he has to say about it. Because the Old Testament is meant to point to him. And if we want to follow him, and we want to understand him, we can't fully do that if we ignore three-quarters of our Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the same God who says, in the beginning, as the God who comes to the earth in Jesus and the God who is present in us in the Holy Spirit. You are the same God throughout the Old Testament, and it is the unfolding story of you and your people, and I thank you for the gift that it is. I pray this morning that as we reflect on what to do with these scriptures that are so hard sometimes, we have our hearts and our minds open by you, Holy Spirit, to see how it all points to you, Jesus. Help us to see how this points to you, Jesus. Help us to follow you by following what you say and understand it better by knowing what was said in the Old Testament. I pray we take that plunge and trust you, God, that you have our best in mind.
and that as you have our best in mind, if we follow it, we won't end up like so many of these stories in the Old Testament in disaster and turmoil and pain because we follow you and you offer us life. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.